Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So today I'm very excited. In studio, um, we have Eric Kintner. He is the senior manager and beer and spirits buyer for Wardman Wines. This is a really great establishment in Brooklyn, uh, D.C., not Brooklyn, uh, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Very often confused. And he is in studio on his birthday. Yay! Yay! Happy birthday, Eric. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's very nice to be here. Of course. So... Before we dive into, you know, who you are, what you do, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. how are you? How was your weekend? Drinking any fun beers? Go to any fun beer places? I was at Hellbender all day yesterday for their fifth anniversary party. Oh, and so nice. so they released a bunch of new beers yesterday, many of which were Big Lebowski themed. Uh, that is a movie I have seen far too many times to admit to. Uh, That's great. So you need it. You abide, right? I, I do indeed. I abide. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Hung out there all day yesterday. Uh, ben and Luke and LT and everybody out there, they're great guys. They make great beer, and it was a good way to spend a Saturday afternoon. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. What kind of, uh, so Big Lebowski themed, yes, but like what kind of styles are they linking to there? Um, it was kind of across the board. They had mm-hmm. a double brown ale. Uh, they had a big blackberry fruited thing, a couple of sour barrel things, uh, Brett. They infected a barrel with Brett and did an Imperial Saison in one and did some of their Dunkelweiss in it as well. Um, those were both delightfully just funky and earthy beers. But a Brett infected Dunkelweiss. Okay. Yeah. Uh, nice and earthy. Their Dunkelweiss is like nice and bright and dry anyway, and it even lightened it up a little bit more, gave it a little bit more of the earthy floral kind of characteristic. It was really tasty. Huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd definitely try that. Yep. I'd definitely mess with that. I think they called it Funk in the Dunk. <laughs> That's perfect. That's really great. Um, all right. So senior manager and beer and spirits buyer yep. for a wine store. Mm-hmm. Let's break it down. What do you, what do, what do you actually do? <laughs> uh, I wear all of the hats and okay. I do all of the things pretty much. Okay. Um, more or less the general manager. Mm-hmm. Um just in terms of the way, you know, kind of responsibilities break down and that kind of stuff. But there's there's two of us who run the shop, uh, and my counterpart does all of the wine buying, which okay. is the bigger part and kind of the core of, of our store and who we are. Um, and when we opened, actually our four-year anniversary, I believe, is the 18th. Um, and so in the four years we've been open, we found very quickly that we were doing more in spirits and beer than we thought we were going to. Um, I was originally the beer buying assistant manager when we first opened the store, uh, and my counterpart for the spirits and I were both much bigger geeks than they thought they Mm -hmm. were going to hire going in. So, uh, we very quickly transitioned to kind of a highly curated selection of things that there's stuff that you'll recognize, but ultimately what we're trying to do is have as many of the basic 
you know, styles and things like that available, even there, even if they're not the brands you would recognize, mm -hmm. um, we have something to hit pretty much whenever somebody comes in and says, this is what I'm looking for. I have something within striking distance, uh, even if it's not, you know, the specific thing you're looking for. I've got something close and for not that much more. Okay. Uh, trying to focus more on smaller producers, uh, smaller growers, smaller importers, and smaller distributors. And so um, that's like, that's kind of, that's kind of, so that was kind of leaning into my next question mm -hmm. in that, <coughs> you know, me. I watched a friend of mine kind of go through the process. She opened up a, like a wine shop slash education center slash, you know, uh, actual like little wine cafe in San Francisco yep. called Decant SF. Shout out to Decant SF in San Francisco. Um, but during that process of figuring out, you know, okay, we're going to be opening this retail space slash education slash, you know, where people can consume. And there's a lot of decision that goes into what you're actually putting on the shelves, yeah. right? Like what kind of story are you trying to tell? Are you extra, extra, extra nerdy and esoteric and, you know, producers that people have never heard of, or, you know, are you going the route of, you know, big producers, big names, or are you doing a mix of that? So like, what's kind of like beer and wine here? Like what mm -hmm. were those, what were those decisions? Um, I think coming in, we knew that we wanted to err on the side of more um, smaller producers and more heavily curated section rather than going with things that people like labels that people would recognize. Okay. Right. But the realities of doing business is, you know, there's going to be a threshold there. Mm -hmm. Um, how much do you have to have of, you know, kind of quote unquote, the things you need to have. And then what quotient of things that you can have are the things I want to get away with. Right. And, and the first year we were open, those I'm lines sorry, let me moving. stop you there real quick. So by what you say, when you say something like things we want to get away with, I mean, this, this feels similar to like when I used to have to build beer lists where it's like, I'm going to bring in this really, really, really rare, expensive, weird thing that no one's ever heard of. Yep. And I'm going to hope I can sell it. Mm -hmm. So it's the same kind of decisions in the beer shop. Similar kind of dynamic, yeah. Okay, um, so like what's something that you, like what's some kind of weird and crazy awesome thing that you brought in that you're like, fingers crossed, fingers someone crossed, buys this. More than three people pick up a bottle of this. Yeah. Um, so actually I just picked up a case of a uh, Blue Bee Cider collaboration that they did with The Veil called oh, Cross Pollinate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is, it was a spontaneously fermented cider that was also barrel aged. Um, and, uh, my rep from Ferment Nation, shout out to David, uh, said, Hey, I've got a couple cases of this. Do you want one of them? And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, and it turns out that they had poured this at a couple of festivals around town and it was quite popular and there's only a couple of bottles left. So Okay, yeah. cool. So you took um, a gamble, and it sounds like it's paying off Took a off gamble, a and, and people have, have found that they liked it, or at least are curious enough about it to try it once, Yeah. Um, which, which is fine. Um, the only, it, I mean, mm -hmm. the thing is, though, is when you have those items, obviously, you usually have to price them accordingly. Right. Right? And so how are you getting people, and this goes for beer lists, too, like, how do you get people excited about dropping a lot of money on something they've never heard of and have no idea if it's going to be good? <laughs> uh, the, the time honored question. Um, a certain portion of that I can count on naturally curious beer people like okay. me who go out intentionally shopping for the things they've never seen before. Um, and so there's a certain, a certain part of that, that, that I can kind of count on. Granted, that's on the smaller side of things, right? Um, a lot of it though is, is just 
curating a clientele with people who come in on the regular and bringing my customer service best to work every day and having good conversations and bringing people along for the ride and pushing them, you know, one or two nudges outside of their comfort zone and what they usually drink uh, and kind of stoke some of their own natural curiosity in terms of what they're looking to drink, what they're looking to buy and what they're curious about. So you're like slowly turning up the volume like one notch at Mm -hmm. a time. Yep. And that's that's beer, wine and spirits across the board for me. Yeah. Um, Do you have a hospitality background? Then, if, um, if you're if you're kind of getting used to building regular, you're you're speaking the hospitality language, right? Like building regulars, getting mm-hmm. people to trust your judgment. Like I have worked in in restaurants. I've been a server. I was briefly a bartender. Uh, I helped the guys open um, the big board on mm-hmm. 8th Street, uh, and I was a server, bartender, and ran an open mic there for a couple of years. Uh, and that's my only recent hospitality uh, um, experience, but. Uh, I have been in retail now for a little over a decade. Um, oh, okay. I finished my master's degree about a week before the economy collapsed in 2008. What was your, your master's degree in? Uh, U.S. history. Nice. Yeah. So that was nice and expensive and a great way to cap yeah. off an academic career. Uh, and then all of a sudden, nobody was interested in hiring anybody with a brand new degree and no actual experience. Yeah, I graduated college in right, right around that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was three hours north of Toronto when everything stopped working. And I was like, yay, okay, well, we'll find something to do. Um, I ended up going back to work for Trader Joe's mm-hmm. uh, and ended up running their beer and wine section for six or seven years. Um, oh, okay. So, so unique and unique and you know storytelling selections mm-hmm. are like in your blood. Um, but on the higher volume, lower price side of things. Yeah. Uh, and then when I made the transition from Trader Joe's to Wardman's, it was you know kind of from one side of the conversation all the way to the other side. Um, and I certainly learned a lot working at Trader Joe's. You know, managing their section and how you know kind of how they price things, how they shelf things, and, and how to wrap my head around a retail section so that when I went to some place and I was in charge of doing it myself, mm-hmm. I had that solid background in how to run a high-volume store uh, without having to have all of those things in place because I was running a more highly curated, lower-moving section where I could call up my rep and say, what you got for me this week, what's new, what's interesting, and, and that was really what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. Just, okay, now just I'm, exploring the, the, the beer and spirit side of things from yeah. what can I get. Now I'm like, okay, so I'm fascinated by this whole like mass, like the way that Trader Joe's operates with finding these kind of cool, fun stories, mm-hmm. but still like doing this on a mass level. Like what was your biggest adjustment going from those, that bigger environment to something smaller? Like what was something that like you couldn't do anymore or something that was hard to adjust to or... Part of, logistically speaking, one of my biggest challenges was adjusting to having a weekly budget. Uh, Working for a chain grocery store and basically ordering from a list where I could do anything I wanted based so long as it was from this list. Mm -hmm. And then I had to, you know, put together end caps and features and that kind of stuff. But if I wanted to haul off and buy 25 cases of Hardywood GBS, I could do that because I knew that in the course of three weeks, enough people would come through and pick those up that I could go through 25 cases of yeah. Hardywood Yeah, and this is Hardywood Gingerbread Stout out of Richmond, Virginia that gets yep. released every year, which yep. every year it's good. Every year it's good, and every year it disappears as soon as it hits mm-hmm. uh, the distributor. And, uh, and if I were, you know, that's not to say I couldn't move more of that than some other things where I am now at Wardman's, but learning to check myself in my buying instincts and not say, yeah, I'll take 15 cases of that and saying, 
I'll do three cases of that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, that that took a minute for me to do that, and I definitely sat on a lot of stock of a couple of things that I just I let I let myself get excited and carried away a little bit. Oh. Um, and you know, it's a real shame when I buy too much of something delicious and I have no choice but to uh, you know take a case of it home and drink it myself. Well, okay, so there it's, there it's there are some sometimes, worse things. Sometimes now, you just have to take one for the team. Take one for and, the team. You know. <laughs> so, for those of you just turning in, um, I'm speaking with Eric Kittner. He is the senior manager and beer and spirits buyer for Wardman Wines in Brookland, D.C. And we're talking about buying beer, making those kinds of decisions as far as, you know, what you're putting on the shelves, how you're getting people to buy. Mm-hmm. So, let's get into that a little bit. We had touched on the fact that, you know, you kind of getting people excited in these more esoteric styles or you know different things and you had said that something that you're really focused on which is something that I really respect is that you try to have a good representation of um, as, as many styles as you can yeah. right you don't let your store be dominated by whatever's hot right you don't have like all fruited gozes all hazy IPAs all pastry stuff I try right? not to let it get too far outside of you know kind of the threshold of its representation in terms of what are people actually drinking yeah. Um, I do ha- definitely have probably more fruited gozas and hazy IPAs um, than I would have five years ago. Well, yeah. Um, but so long as it's not crowding anything else out and I'm not missing any, you know, of, of the big things that you know people were coming in looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so you've and hold on, hold on. We got way we got way excited talking about these things. You have a beer sitting here <laughs> for like the past. 12 minutes now and I've been just peppering you with all these questions let's stop and let's stop and crack this bad boy open so what did you what did you bring here uh, for us to drink I brought a Port City Porter classic classic um, great Porter is one of my favorite styles probably because uh, very few people ever say that uh, except for Jack Inslee except for Jack yeah which is great <laughs> and to have a Porter that is done remarkably well is just one of the most delightful things in life for me um and that we have port city here that is a local beer for us and right in alexandria across the board they make fantastic beer they mm-hmm. have been recognized in many different places and many different times for doing so uh and their walls are plastered with plastered uh, metals, metals. Uh, and every one of them very well earned they're yes. they're solid at what they do and they just earned another medal for this beer at a competition in uh in europe yeah they get one english porter um, which is fantastic. Uh, and they were also recognized at the Great American Beer Fest this year. Um, I, I've got a few friends who work there, and I just want to give them a big shout-out. Please, please keep up the excellent work. Your beer is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. No, yeah. they've, they've been on the show before, and, I mean, by far and away, one of my favorite breweries, you know, it's a, it's a comfort thing. Yep. You know? I actually have a friend of mine who was celebrating her... Uh, wedding and I couldn't make it and I said I'm so sorry how can I make it up to you and she said please just ship me as much Port City Wit beer as you can because <laughs> <laughs> you can't get it in Austin Texas which is a real shame it is um, but that's that's also one of the great things about the hyper locality of beer right now is mm-hmm. wherever you go there's good beer there yeah um, and you know, it's great when you can get something that is local on the other side of the country, um, whether it's something you recognize or something that you can only get there. Um, that's that's just something that, at this particular moment in time in the beer universe, is just one of the true delights for me. There's there's enough people out there making fantastic beer right now that wherever you go, there's always something worth drinking. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good... We should put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> wherever you go, there's always something always worth drinking. Always something worth drinking. Well... 
thank you so much for bringing in Port City Porter. That's this makes me so happy. Usually, when when somebody brings in something, sometimes they you know it gets like nerdy, which I love. Hey, yeah. cheers! Happy birthday! Cheers! Thank you very much. Um, but yeah, no, I appreciate you kind of throwing it back to the classic. And that's you know back to back to the shop for a second. That's mm-hmm. that's always one of the lines that I have to pay attention to, right? Like how much recognizable stuff, how much esoteria, how much of what's on my shelf is there because that's what I think customers want to drink mm-hmm. and how much is there because I want it to be there. Um, and I think that even, even in a shop where I've only got like six sets of shelves, right? My shelf space in otherwise a wine shop is somewhat limited. Um, there's room for all of those things. And I think there has to be room for all of those things. Um, just the number of people I talk to and the number of times in a week I field the question, well, what's your favorite beer right now? What are you most excited about? And mm-hmm. whatever it is I say, there's a high chance that they're going to pick one of those things up. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's, an, it's an ever-changing line, that line, between you know, my, my personal taste and my professional taste. Um, so let's, we're going to take a quick break, but let's dive into that a little bit. Cause okay. that's something, that's something I definitely struggled with when I was first doing mm-hmm. a beer list. We're going to take a quick break. Um, we'll be right back on beer me radio recorded live at the line hotel on full service radio. Welcome back to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I am your host, Sarah Jane, and I'm here in studio with Eric Kittner. He is the Senior Manager and Beer and Spirits Buyer for Wardman Wines in Brooklyn, D.C. So we were just talking about when you're putting together a list, whether it's for a restaurant or when you're doing a beer for retail, there's that balance that you need to strike as far as what people want to be drinking versus what you want to be drinking. And I Mm -hmm. mentioned that this is a mistake. I remember the first beer list I took over, I went really like, I was, you know, still kind of like getting my bearings as a proper beer nerd. So of course I was like super, super into Cantillon, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I still love Cantillon. Don't get me wrong. Zwanzi Day is one of my favorite days of the year. But I went a little crazy, and like thankfully we had the budget for me to go a little crazy, but that whole list had like such a dominant sour section, and I had just let everything else kind of eh. And at that point, this was, ugh, this was like six or so years ago, it, sours weren't as popular. They were still ramping popular. up. They, they were still were, ramping yeah. up. Could you say I was a trendsetter? Sure. Of course. <laughs> no. But I it, but it was incredibly it was an incredibly unbalanced list. And I look mm-hmm. back now and I'm like, ugh, like what was I even thinking, right? And so that's a hard thing to do, you know? I feel like you so what is what is something that you've kind of struggled with with that? Um well and it's funny that you put it that way because coming to when we first opened Wardman Wines four years ago, coming from Trader Joe's, which is the much more, you know, volume side of things, mm-hmm. I made exactly the opposite mistake. 
Um, I assumed that when people coming come into a wine shop to buy beer, yes, we're going to get some customers who are interested in some more, you know, kind of curious things. And I was still, you know, kind of on my way into being a full-fledged beer nerd at the time anyway. I was definitely into beer. Um, but And Eric is like a full beer nerd now, like full <laughs> convert. We met at a Cicerone study group, yep. like full beer nerd now. And I've, I've got the card. I'm, I'm a card-carrying beer nerd now. Yes. Certified. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I found that the first... Out of our first couple of orders, the first three cases of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale that I bought for the shop sat there for months. Yeah. But I couldn't keep the smaller IPAs on the shelf. I couldn't keep the nerdier, you know, just kind of up up the thing, the one-offs and all of those things on the shelf. And I found very quickly that I needed to develop my my conversations and my relationships with my reps and get some more interesting stuff in because the stuff I thought that you know I'm gonna have to have and I'm gonna have to keep on the shelf it was sitting there and the holes on my shelves were the new and interesting things so I was in the very happy place of saying oh okay well now let's see what we can get away with yeah Uh, and so you know over the course of the next few months I just kept pushing that line further and further and further Mm -hmm. porter burp um until I found (laughs) until I found uh that that happy medium of mm-hmm. you know enough motion on on the everyday things and just drinking beer versus the esoteric and the interesting and and the one off and the highly rotational stuff um, and so found that line fairly quickly and in four years have been through I want to say about sixteen hundred beers wow at the shop okay um, so there's a lot of things that I only ever get you know two or three cases of or one or two drops of and mm-hmm. then I'll rotate it out to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a similar enough vein. Um, and, and like you said, we, we met well, in, a, in a Cicerone study group. Um, and that sitting in that particular crossroads of the beer universe was, was a big boon to me in that. Like, that was a lot of studying that I just did while at work, trying all of these different examples across all of these different styles of beer um, that I definitely had in my advantage when I, when I sat down to start studying for the test. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there's something, there's a, there's a bit of a power that you have, I feel like, in that you, you have cultivated regulars and you do have that kind of natural like hospitality vein in you. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you could influence people to kind of get into certain things or certain styles, right? I feel like you have, you have a little bit of power here to bring on some things that maybe people aren't as familiar with, like Doppelbox, for example. Schwartz beer. Yes. I love Schwartz beer, and it's a style that everybody ignores. But yeah. I keep a couple of them around so that when that conversation comes up, I say, no, really, if, if this is the conversation we're having, you should try this. And for listeners um, who maybe aren't familiar, get on that soapbox. Tell them about Schwartz beer real quick. Schwartz beer is a black lager. Um, Similar to porter and stout in that it uses darkly roasted malts, but is fermented with a lager yeast, so it keeps a lighter, cleaner, and crisper flavor profile. Doesn't have the weight and the depth of flavor that a porter and a stout have, uh, and it has that clean, crisp, refreshing carbonation to it as well. Yeah. 
So those those always mess me up with blind tastings. Those yeah. are that's that's one of the bugaboo styles for me. And and those those styles that that cross lines and bring in elements of very different styles of beer quite often are some of my favorite styles from a tasting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, when when a beer can confuse me and throw me off, that's that's what I really like. Um, and when I'm tasting things for the first time, uh, I do enjoy tasting beers that I enjoy to taste, even if I would never or very rarely reach for that beer to drink, right? Um, and sour beers are one that I've that I've had to work on. Um, the sour flavor profile in general general was never my strongest. Uh, there's a lot of them that I have tasted and a lot that I enjoy, but a lot of them, I enjoy tasting them yeah. for the sake of tasting them. And I enjoy tasting one that is very, very well made, uh, even if it is in a style that I very rarely reach for. Um, I gotcha. And that's, that's one of my favorite things because that always gives me a little bit of new perspective on that style and on the makers of that style um, to get something so well dialed in that mm-hmm. I can recognize, yes, that is very, very well done, even if it's not something that I particularly enjoy um, and the you know what do I like and what do I not like and why being able to separate my personal opinion from my professional opinion um, is, is definitely one of one of the skills that I was had to work on yeah but now it is essential yeah now another thing that you know I've always been curious about as far as retail goes is you yes you have to consider kind of you know, buying habits, you have to consider, you know, education level of your staff, you know, to make sure that you're, you know, representing yourselves well, but also making sure that your customers always have guidance. Um, But another thing is kind of deciding who you're selling and kind of keeping up to date with, you know, certain current events and things like that. I mean, from the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like you have any hard and fast rules like, you know, we only sell independently owned, you know, producers or something like that. But, you know, you've got the lawsuit that that founders is going through for discrimination and that has led to founders being pulled off of shelves and pulled off of bars and things like that i mean are those things that you have to take into consideration um they are and and it's it's interesting that you bring that up because Mm -hmm. that's a topic that i was going back and forth all week this week thinking about it's like all right am i going to bring this up and talk about it Mm -hmm. or am i going to see if it comes up kind of naturally in the conversation. And I brought it up. Yay. <laughs> uh, the other beer I brought was my segue into that. Okay. Um, so let's so, talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so like, first off, there was a former manager, Founders Brewing Company, mm-hmm. which is the largest brewery in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically there's a suit for, you know, discrimination. This employee felt that they had dealt with a lot of kind of racist culture and behaviors and things like that and so they shut down the Detroit um, location recently um, or closed the doors Mm -hmm. and um, you know so a lot of people have been pulling founders off the shelves and there are a lot of bars that aren't selling founders anymore what do you think it's it's a tough one Uh, I I am from the far northwest corner of Ohio founders Mm -hmm. has been one of my top five favorite breweries for as long as I can remember. I know, all day IP was at my wedding. Fantastic beer, yeah. right? Um, but for me, the decision to not buy any more founders was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be like that. No. Um, and I don't like taking anybody's beer off of my shelf for reasons that have nothing to do with the beer anyway. 
mm-hmm. even if it's a brewery that you know I may or may not be the biggest fan of. But to be in a position where I have no choice but to pull one of my favorite breweries off my shelf and not buy them anymore, it sucks and it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not even a decision I had to make. Um, I didn't pull all of it off right away. I currently have it marked down to almost cost. Um, and when it's gone, it's gone and I'm just not going to buy anymore. Um, but it wasn't a decision I had to wrangle over or anything. Um, diversity and inclusion and just treating people like people, uh, is so much. I feel like it's such a much a foundation of beer, right? Yeah. So to, to get, to hear that kind of behavior, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, well, not entirely shocked because this is still technically the hospitality industry and you still see a lot of things in the hospitality industry that should be, you know, non-existent anymore, but we are still humans on all sides of that observation. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but look, when, when somebody, whether they're one of my favorites or not, you know, kind of through their actions or through a statement makes it, makes it plain that they're not going to change something that is clearly a problem, then I am going to change what's on my shelf. Because I got into this because the people were excellent. Yes, I enjoy beer and the, the beer has to be good, but the people are what got me into the beer industry and they're what keep me here. And that comes first to me. Excellent. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah. been a delight. Thanks for coming mm-hmm. on your birthday. Oh, yeah. We have, a fun, we have a fun cupcake for Eric. For I like cupcakes. <laughs> to celebrate. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be on next week. Uh, this has been Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live at the Line Hotel. Feel free to reach out on Instagram. Um, I will see you next week. Cheers. Thanks again. Bye.